Welcome to the podcast of Shalom Live Stories. I'm Rob Caldor and I'm with Deb Meyer, Program Manager at Shalom. Hi Rob, I'm very excited by this special podcast featuring some fantastic storytellers from our sold out events of 2017. We had two sold out events with the themes of freedom and new beginnings. With the theme of new beginnings, we hear from John Holden, an African-American counsellor, who tells of his very meaningful encounter with a Holocaust survivor and his recovery from addiction. So let's have a listen. And I'll start with a story. Almost 50 years old. I was born in an in a, uh, industrial town in uh, Pennsylvania called Pittsburgh. When I was about three or four years old, one of my first memories. I was playing in a snow suit. I was standing on the yard. And this big white guy comes walking down the street. He's four years old. I was like that tall. What are you looking at, you fucking nigger? I was four. And that became the basis for how I related to the world. Fear, anger, resentment, all the time. And no matter what people did to try to protect me from that, that's still what I had in the back of my head. And it would continue to go that way. And when you have that prison in your head, you almost can't do anything to escape it. That's why it's so important to love children, care for them, protect them, but also other people. And I would go that way, I would continue to go that way, and just, no matter what, I come from a very good family. My father teaches, taught at university. My dear mother is just deceased. Uh, she was a social worker. And I always had the greatest lessons for people that I never took. But this is about new beginnings. So every time I would find some way to sabotage myself, sabotage my life, do something stupid, I'd start over again. I've traveled all around the world. I speak a couple different languages. I, uh, I always, but I always found a way to drag myself down. I saw the movie. Everybody, I saw the movie Wall Street. So I became a stockbroker. And uh, I was great on the phone. I liked being on the phone because nobody could tell what I was on the phone. And I was good at what I did. And one of the first times I've only, one of the first and only times I've been ashamed is when my father, I came home again to ask my father for money because I was close to being bankrupt. And he saw my, uh, he saw my tax forms. He said, how could you make that much money and not have anything left? And I couldn't tell my father the truth at that time. I couldn't tell him what I was doing, whether it was gambling or substance abuse or shady deals. I couldn't tell him the truth. So I had to try to find a way to have a new beginning again. Gosh, where do I go? 
it kept repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself, and I could never figure out why. The more success I had, the more failure I had. The more success I had, the more failure I had. And so something that was simultaneously successful and simultaneously a failure at the same time was living in Australia. Because I kind of went on a bender and one day I woke up and I was in Sydney and I said, oh, okay. Well, this looks like a good place to stay. And this was before immigrating to Australia was as hard as it is now. So I did a little tap dancing, signed a few forms, and I made it over here. And I started the cycle again. And then on the brink of one of my other failures, from one of my other scams, from one of my other lies, from one of my other stories, I was diagnosed with a profound mental health disorder. And then it began to make sense. And that only come from being able to talk to people, to tell the truth, to admit your failings. And I kept it going. And I discovered I had to give back. I didn't mean to, for, to sound so solemn because I was actually having a good time when I was doing all this failing. But when I sat there, and I was sitting there one day, and I'd become, I wouldn't say I was homeless, I wasn't sleeping on the, I wasn't sleeping rough, but I was crashing on couches, or going from one mate's place to another mate's place. Sometimes I'd sleep in my car, and at the same time I was going to university and just faking it. Nobody knew what was going on in the backside of my life, but I knew I had something different. And how I guess it relates a little bit, because Deb liked the story that I told <clears throat> in another time when I'd been estranged for the umpteenth time from my family. I was working in a hotel in Washington, D.C. Not a hotel, but like a cafe. And a man came in, and he starts talking. I can barely walk. He's you know, in his 80s at that time. That was 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And his name was Mr. Brenner. And Besides him and my great-grandfather are probably one of my greatest inspirations of people who didn't take, who didn't look at life with resentment. So my great-grandfather was a slave. It wasn't, you know, people think it was, slavery was generations and generations ago, and it wasn't. My great-grandfather was a slave that bought his way out of freedom in the 1860s. And he, he collaborated with the the Southern Army with the Confederate Army in order to buy his wife's freedom. So that was always an inspiration to me. And then Mr. Brenner came in and he'd always talk. And he was, some, he was an old, lonely man. And I talked to him. I just used to come to the end of the counter, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him for hours on end. And he would tell me, oh, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. And uh, he says, why aren't you going to school now? Oh, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't want to tell him, you know, that my father was ashamed of me or that, you know, I didn't have any money or whatever. 
but I can't, I somehow got to the topic, I didn't have money for books. So Mr. Brenner comes back in about a month later. It was hot by that time. He was wearing a, he was wearing a white cut-off sleeve shirt. And on the inside of his shirt, right there were tattoo numbers. And he had a couple hundred dollars in his, in an envelope for me to pay for my books so I could go to another semester of school. And I asked him, what the hell is that? And he said, oh, this is from, I don't remember how he said it, but he told me about how he'd been in a concentration camp. I was like, what? For what? Like, because I was so, I just didn't, that wasn't part of my cultural experience. And that's when I really began to resent hatred and bigotry and racism. And like, before it had just been a normalized part of my life. And this guy told me the story about how he survived and how his entire family was killed. And how he came to America with nothing and made something of himself because of education. So more than anything else, that inspired me to keep going to school. And no matter what I did, I went to school, I studied, I finished that semester, I finished that degree, and I kept going to school and kept working on my education. I went back to see him later and his, his mind had begun to go and he barely remembered me and I just moved on with my life. But that was something that I owed him, was to keep going, because he saw a little faith in me. How, like, how powerful that was to me that somebody who barely knew me, I mean, he knew me from having conversations and having coffees, but that he comes in and tells me that story, and tells me a story about his life, and gives me money for school. And that's when I dedicated myself to helping other people, investing my time in other people that could never pay me back, And despite whatever challenge I had, I had to face it. That's why when I saw an opportunity to volunteer at our big kitchen or at Jewish house or organizations that were near where I lived in the eastern suburbs, I did it. I don't care if I'm the only one. I don't care if I'm different. I help who needs help when they need help. No matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what your race is, your religion, no matter what, I still do it. I've even had experiences with people like Rivka who've come to Australia recently, and I said, oh, go, go talk to Rabbi Slovak, go talk to this person, go talk to that person. Tell them you know me. Not like anybody else knows me, but tell them you know me. Because every little bit that we all do makes a difference. And I guess I'll stop there. Thanks. So Deb, how do we find out about what's going on at Shalom? Very simply, 
best to head to the Shalom website, which is www.shalom.edu.au. All our events, our comedy events, our Sydney Writers Festival events, our Linwood Oz events, entrepreneurs, uh, professional women's forums, so many different events that we have running. So that's www.shalom.edu.au.